Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hey guys, and welcome back. Today we are diving deep into sensory processing disorder. Now, I find SPD is commonly misunderstood and most people only tend to think about it as a disorder where people over-respond, under-respond or seek sensory input. But this is only one part of what SPD actually is and there's a lot more to it than that. So get your pen and paper handy and put your thinking caps on and we are going to soak up a lot of knowledge and wisdom today. We are going to be talking to Rachel and Jessica, who are both pediatric occupational therapy assistants based over in the US, and they're the hosts of the podcast, The Sensory Project Show. Their podcast is a safe place for parents, therapists, and educators to learn more about occupational therapy and sensory integration through their raw and honest approach and lots of fun ideas and strategies for everyday life. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Uh, what a pleasure. Um, let's dive into a bit of background about you guys and what you're doing today so we can find out all the juicy stuff. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, like you said, we're both um, CODAs is the term that we say for certified occupational therapy assistants. And we've been treating for five years in both outpatient settings. And it's so much fun. And we were kind of talking before about just kind of how we started and where this journey came from. And we just love to educate parents and families. And, and that's kind of where the whole thing started. And we have a podcast now. And <laughs> almost a year almost in. Almost a year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's been quite. It's fantastic. I love your podcast. It is really informative, lots of information in there. Um, so if you, if there are any OTs or OT students listening into this, fantastic. Also, obviously, for parents, um, there's just a lot of content in there as well. And you guys just have such a wealth of knowledge. Like, you know, five years in, OT assistance, like you're just so, spreading and sharing so much inside. It's fantastic. We kind of like to defy the odds <laughs> because yeah, of what's expected yeah, of us. Yeah. A lot of people, they think, you know, as, as CODAs, you just, you kind of settle and that's not how we are. So we kind of like to give a shout out to all the CODAs out there to just do more than what people think you can do because it's possible. And, and just those, those credentials, they, they shouldn't hold you back. So kind of like to, to just, you know, Shout out to those, to those <laughs> honestly, because you're an OT, right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. have a lot of assistance, like in the pediatric world, I suppose a lot of us are working um, privately and yeah, we don't have a lot of assistance. So it's so fantastic to, yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. <laughs> That's interesting. Alrighty, well, let's let's dive into sensory processing disorder because that's what we're talking about today. If you could break it down for us, what exactly is sensory processing disorder? 
Hey, are you taking this one? No. <laughs> Rachel's really good with the words. And so anytime we get a question like this, I'm like, yeah, you got this because you're really good with the words. <laughs> okay. So, oh my gosh, in a nutshell, everyone processes sensory input differently. And sensory just means your environment and your body and how everything is connected. And really what it comes down to is that everyone is unique in the way that they process sensory input and being able to have an appropriate response or an adaptive response is what we call it is the key to success. And a lot of our kiddos who have that sensory processing disorder or not even diagnosed, but they have challenges with that. They're not having an appropriate response to sensory input. So if you think about tactile, that's a very common one. Kiddos won't like their tags on their shirts or their socks right side out. Right? Right? I can never say that the right way. I think that's right. But (laughs) they have these big reactions to these little problems or these little, what we think are little new nuisances, I guess you could say. Um, And so that's where the sensory processing deficit comes into play. Um, and, And a big one that I like to think about is when a person has true sensory processing disorder, they don't know how to get the input that they need in order to feel regulated. But a person like me, who, yeah, I have some sensory issues. Look, I'm sitting on a therapy ball right now. You know, I know (laughs) what my body needs and I'm taking the steps to regulate my body and to regulate the sensory input. So that's kind of um, like a common misconception is, is the difference between true sensory processing disorder and then oh, you know, we just have some challenges processing sensory input. So mm. there's my nut. She mm. did so good. She's so good. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That gives such a great snapshot. And it's something that kids or anyone, they just can't switch off. It's not like you can snap out of it. It means that everyday life is going to be really challenging. Mm-hmm. It's ever-changing yep. and it's, you know, you you grow and your sensory system grows with you and it changes. And, you know, one day you won't have any issues to the certain food and the next day you have all the issues to that certain food. And it's just, that's just life. And that's just how our bodies are. Mm. And I think it's important to note here too, for parents who are listening in, sensory processing disorder isn't currently recognized as an official diagnosis. So it's currently a description only, but we know it exists. Um, and this is, yeah, how we label it. Yeah, um, that's really important because a lot of people, they don't recognize that. So, well, and there's a lot of parents that think that it is a diagnosis. And so they'll say that and no, it's not actually a diagnosis, but mm-hmm. it is like a term that we use. Yeah. So it's kind of tricky. Mm. Well, one day we'll probably have it recognized as a diagnosis, I think. Probably <laughs> so. the way we're going. <laughs> So how common is it? How many kids are we seeing these kind of challenges in? I wrote this down. Oh, Rachel found the Yeah, I found a statistic. It was really interesting. Um, So about 16% of children experience sensory challenges. And at least 80% of children with autism and 30% of those gifted children have the sensory processing disorder. And that's from the Sensory Processing Disorder Foundation website. Yeah. 
80% of kids on the spectrum. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised by that. Like I expected it to honestly be more like 90. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's it. Maybe it's just not, they haven't picked it up as that disorder. Maybe kids have, you know, learned some coping strategies that they're able to manage some of those challenges that they're having. And I'm also curious how they, how they come up with those numbers. Because how did they do if that? If I've seen these kiddos, <laughs> I'm sure that there's probably more. But I don't know. It's just, that's an interesting. Mm. All right, let's dive into the three subtypes of sensory processing disorder. So for everyone listening in, there are three subtypes. Um, sensory modulation disorder, sensory-based motor disorder, and sensory discrimination disorder. So they're three different types. And the one that we hear most of is the sensory modulation disorder, where kids either over-respond, under-respond, or seek sensory input. So let's dive into this. What, what exactly does modulation mean? What is sensory modulation disorder? I'm so glad that you brought these questions up because this is like super scientific and we don't typically talk about this stuff we with our, with our patients on our podcast, but it is, it's a huge umbrella of information. So I'm so glad that we can talk <laughs> about this today. Uh, so yeah, so sensor modulation that, like you said, it's the most common one. And that's basically when there's challenges there, we don't regulate our responses to the sensory stimuli, right? So modulation allows us to focus on the important things in our environment. So we can listen to the teacher instead of listening to the whispering in the back of the room, right? We're able to modulate that auditory input. And that's a big one for our kids is that auditory piece. But we can filter out all the unnecessary stimuli in our environment in order to focus on what's important right now. Mm-hmm. as kind of like the general yeah. description. <laughs> yeah, nice. Exactly. So it's like this volume control, isn't it? So you can tune into the things that are really important and that you need to focus on. Like you said, in the classroom, you can focus on the teacher and you can turn that volume control down on the kids who are talking in the back. Or um, you can tune into um, again, the teacher and tune out to the tag on the back of your shirt or the seams in your sock. You can, um, you know, that's not important at that time, but for some kids like that is all consuming. It's just too much. And that's all their brain can focus on. Um, yeah. yeah. So can we dive into what it means to over respond, under respond and to seek sensory input? Cause kids, can fall into one of these categories. They can fall into all three of these categories and sort of have a combination. Um, and I think it's important if parents can get a bit of an idea of what that can look like. Yes. So the sen- it's kind of opposite of what you think. So the sensory over-responders are the ones who are really sensitive. So those are the kiddos. If they're sensitive to movement, they're not going to want to ride their bike. They're not going to want to go down the slide. They're going to be uncomfortable on a swing, they're going to over respond. So they're going to be uncomfortable on these pieces of equipment. So they're having that over reaction, if you will. And so then the under responsive kiddos, those are the ones who need more input. They just can't get enough. Mm -hmm. Their threshold is like (laughs) way up here. And in order to even start to feel 
organized and calm, they have to move their body in these certain ways. They have to get this input in order to feel like how we're feeling now. And those sensory seekers or those cravers are the ones who, I mean, those are the ones who are labeled the bad kids because they are constantly moving, constantly touching, constantly go, go, go. They just don't stop. And those are the ones who definitely are labeled as, you know, the naughty kiddos. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they're not the naughty kiddos. They're the mm-hmm. ones who just, they just don't know what their body needs and they need help achieving yes. that balanced state. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. And the sensory seekers, they're the kids that you're going to notice as soon as you walk into the classroom because they, they are they are labelled as the hyperactive kid or the fidgety kid or the annoying or distracting kid or the naughty kid. And really it's about, um, I think, diving into that behaviour and saying, okay, well, this is their behaviour, but what what's triggering it? Why are they um, displaying these behaviours? And sensory processing, a lot of the time, it comes down to being able to integrate and process these pieces of sensory information that they're seeking yeah finding out the why i like that (laughs) always it's it's our goal yeah we always have to know why there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing Mm. and i think that you mentioned this too about our combination kids right because we're going to have kids who are over responsive to one sensory system but then they're under responsive to the next and then they're seeking this other sensory system Mm -hmm. and all of us i feel like every person is a combination and so are our kids yeah and so we just figure out which sensory system is what is what or where and then go from there Mm -hmm. so what can parents do if they are starting to piece together now oh yep my child is over responsive to noise so they overreact when they hear um, the blender or the vacuum or they over respond when yeah they have someone brush up against them or they can't stand touch Um, what can parents start to do for kids who are over responsive to sensory input number one Get them in OT. <laughs> Don't wait. The sooner you can get them help and the sooner that you can figure out what exactly is going on, the better off they will be. So that's number one. <laughs> What's number two? Uh, number two is sensory diets. So get them into OT and then have talk with your OT and get a sensory diet in place them to get the input that they need mm-hmm. and their body needs to help them through their day. So a sensory diet, it's not food. It is what your body needs in order to get through your daily activities as organized and as calmly, if you will, as you can. So you participate in these specific activities specifically designed by your OT and they're going to help you feel at that just right level throughout preferred activities, non-preferred activities, um, anything. And you want to do them before your child has meltdown or before your kiddo's about to lose it. And just keep in mind, it's not a cure. It's not a quick fix. It takes consistency and patience. And it's just going to take the edge off is, is the goal of a sensory diet is to, to teach them what their body needs to do in order to just be successful. Mm. Be happy. 
I love that. I love that. You explain that very, very well. Um, what about the kids who under-respond to sensory input? What can we do for those kids? Those kiddos, I think exposure. That's what oh, I would yes. do is, is exposure and over and over and don't, don't stop exposing them to whatever it is just because they don't like it the first time or the mm-hmm. second time or the third time, but keep doing it. And make it positive. Make it enjoyable. Do it yourself. Yeah. Model. Mm-hmm. All righty. Let's jump to another subtype of sensory processing disorder, and that is sensory-based motor disorder. Um, can you tell us what this means? What is this and what does it look like? Go for it. So this is going to be when your kiddo has difficulty with balance motor coordination, praxis, so those are your motor planning skills, sitting upright at the table, walking down the hall, walking up and down stairs. I mean, just all those different motor movements. Probably going to have all the challenges with sports, Mm -hmm. so throwing and catching, running, just all of those different movement-based activities that we do every day that we take for granted for. Mm, yeah. And so what, I mean, the term dyspraxia gets thrown around a lot. And I suppose that for parents, they have, re- you know, it's confusing. What is dyspraxia? What does it mean? Because this relates to this sensory-based motor disorder. Okay. So we actually just did a podcast episode on this topic last on week. Praxis. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. did. Um, because it's one of those things that parents, they'll hear, they're, they'll hear the word but they're like, I don't know what that means. It's such a weird word. And once you start to recognize what it is, the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's my kiddo. Well, and side note, like when I'm talking to parents about praxis, a lot of times I'll just say motor planning mm-hmm. because they understand what that is more. And it's just, it explains it a little bit more when you just say motor planning. Yeah. I throw that word out to my parents a lot. So let's explain what it is. So you've got, you've got your praxis and it has your four different components. So it starts with ideation, which is coming up with the idea of a motor action. And then you are motor planning your body through it. And all of the signals are going where they need to be to get your body to perform that motor action. And then you are executing it. So you've had all the ideas, you've had everything connect where it needs to connect, and you're executing the plan. And then the last step is you are, I can't think of the technical term, but you're, you're recognizing how you did. So you're kind of reviewing your performance. And then you adapt. And you adapt. Yeah, that's the word that I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. You, review, you, re- you review your performance, <laughs> and then you adapt so that the next time you can perform that motor action even better. And so when you get the, the dyspraxic kiddos or the kiddos who struggle with that dyspraxia, they can struggle with all of the components or they can struggle with one of the components. But if you take one of those components away, I mean, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. The whole thing breaks down. Yeah. And you lose the entire praxis component just with taking one thing away. Um, and so it's one of those, those hidden not uh, diagnoses, but it's, it's, it's undercover and, and people don't really recognize what's going on and why my kiddo's clumsy and why they can't do a somersault or why they can't ride their bike. It's like, well, this is probably why. It could be a big, big reason why. 
Mm. So could you give us an example of what it looks like or um, and what parents can do if they identify this in their kid? Yes. So this was our example in our episode. We were talking about doing a somersault, right? So you think about a somersault, you have to come up with your idea to do it. You have to plan it out, get your body positioned, how you need to position it, and then follow through with it. And then recognize, oh man, I went a little bit sideways. I landed on my neck or whatever it was. And so when a kiddo has dyspraxia, they, they might, you know, do a side roll or when they might not even know how to like position their body or how to put their hands on the floor, yeah. how to tuck their chin and push off with their legs. And then where their body is because they have no idea what just happened <laughs> yeah so I think the uh the biggest way that you can work on praxis is you know number one you're if your kiddo's in OT they're going to be working on it every day every session yeah. but honestly and everyday activities will work on this skill and giving them instructions and written instructions, visual instructions, auditory instructions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, incorporating multiple skills at once. Basically anything that you can do with your kiddo is going to be working on this. If it's, if it's a good challenge, you know, you have to find that just right challenge, but honestly everything can work on it, which is so great. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. And it is just looking at new and novel skills, I think, and exposing them to different things, seeing how their brain works, how they're going to figure it out. And like you said, prompting them and um, breaking down the task so it's easier. So they do have that chance of success. Because if we know we try and get them to do a somersault and there's, we know absolutely there's no way they can do it. And we haven't maybe um, shown them a video or demonstrated ourselves how to do it and sort of s did step by step on how to do that somersault. Um, yeah, they will have absolutely no idea where to start. It's like any of us. If, if we're trying to learn how to play piano and it's a new task and we've never done it before, if we don't have it broken down, if we aren't given plenty of time and no stress, um, it's obviously going to make it super hard for us. Yeah, yeah well, like practice, yeah. repetition for sure. Absolutely. I like, I like that you said without stress <laughs> because, I mean, we, we have these high expectations of our kiddos mm -hmm. that they're going to do this and they're going to do it right. And I mean, maybe not as therapists, but sometimes as parents, we have these high expectations and, and the kiddo is feeling stressed out and they're sensing our stress and giving them that opportunity to explore their bodies on their own it's huge. So I, I love that. Love that. Yeah. And I think too, as parents, we often want to make sure our kids are performing at the level that every other kid in their class is. So we want to almost, you know, if they're not at that level, we'll try and leapfrog that developmental milestone to get them where they are at. But actually kids have to go through those milestones in order to be able to catch up. And yeah, I think we do fall into that trap of just comparisonitis and we're comparing all the time. But if we try and remember that, meet them where they're at, give them the skills and the tools to learn along the way, you know, that's what's going to be best. We can't leapfrog and yeah. jump those milestones. Yeah, I agree. And we have to meet them at their level. I mean, always. Yes. 
Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. What about the third subtype? So the third subtype is sensory discrimination. What does this mean and what can it look like in our kids? So when you think of discrimination, you are discriminating between a variety of sensory input. So you've got your five normal senses and then you've got your three hidden senses. So your vestibular, proprioceptive and interoception. And, and sensory discrimination is really being able to decide what you're feeling, what you're hearing, what you're tasting, whatever it is, and making it organized in your brain. So taking that information in and then making sure that it's organized and you respond appropriately. So I'm sitting on this therapy ball right now. So am I leaning backwards? Am I leaning forwards? Am I leaning to the side? And moving my body appropriately. Because if I'm moving to the side, well, I have to right myself and hold myself up. Things like that. So sensory discrimination is... It's kind of one of the ones that, that falls through the cracks, I think. Oh, uh, absolutely. Because um, <laughs> it's not talked about very we, often. We don't talk about yeah. it. No, we don't. Um, yeah, I don't hear a lot about it either. And even like the sensory-based motor disorder, we don't hear that term a lot. And like I said at the beginning, a lot of the time when we hear SPD, we're only thinking of the modulation, the over-responders, the under-responders and the seekers. So it's so good that we're covering all this. And I do want to touch on something. So you just said then that um, there are the five main senses and there were three hidden senses. So we didn't cover this in the beginning. So I'd like to cover it now, if that's all right, um, what the three hidden senses are so parents can understand what that actually means. So the five main senses are obviously taste, touch, smell, vision, hearing. Yeah. What are the okay. three hidden senses? Okay, these are the three best senses. Um, <laughs> so the first one is proprioception, and that is our body awareness, and that is our ability to recognize where we are in space, where we are sitting up right now, um, being able to touch my nose without using my vision. So just recognizing where we are. And then your vestibular sense is your sense of movement. And so recognizing, oh, my head is upright right now, or oh, I'm upside down, or I'm inverted, or I'm leaning side to side, I'm in a car, I'm in a roller coaster, that vestibular system is super activated. And then interoception is a super cool one. It's like super hidden. What is happening inside my body right now? Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I have to go to the bathroom? Am yes. I feeling pain? Yeah. Am I too hot? Am I too cold? And one thing that I found is really interesting is that our kiddos on the spectrum will be really under responsive. So they'll seek input in those three hidden senses. And they'll avoid or they'll be over-responsive to the five other senses that tell us, like, what's going on in our environment. And I just find that so interesting because if you think of, a, of our, you know, our, I know it's a spectrum, every, everyone's different, but if you think of our average kiddo on the spectrum, they are sensory seekers. You know, they, they jump, they crash, they spin typically, right? And they don't, and they, you know, they don't really recognize what's going on inside of their bodies, but they don't like 
loud noises or they don't like touching people touching their skin. Um, food is tricky. Um, and so I think that's so interesting to remember about our kiddos on the spectrum is they're under responsive with our body and over responsive to all those environmental senses. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's interesting that you brought that up because when we think about it, it's like those three hidden senses are like our foundations. Yeah. And if our foundational senses aren't organized, then we can't do anything with our environment. Absolutely. So we have to work on those three hidden senses first before we can ask the kid to sit at the table. Yes. And do cool. that. They are. Oh, it's so be inside out. It yeah. is. Absolutely. I love that. And that is such an interesting observation. It's really interesting. Um, so in terms of the discrimination then, so getting back to discrimination, what does it look like? Can you give us some more examples on what the sensory discrimination can look like with the different senses? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about what you're seeing, you know, maybe a kiddo in school struggles to discriminate between a P and a B and a Q and a D. Mm-hmm. So there's that visual discrimination or with the auditory sense, they struggle with discriminating between um, words like cap and hat or um, dog and pog. You know, whatever it is. Frog. Yeah. Pogs. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, maybe they can't can't decide if this lollipop is sweet or if it's sour Mm -hmm. or if it's salty or bitter. Um, So they just, they struggle with recognizing that. Um, and I mean, when you're talking about it now, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but if you think about it from a safety standpoint, Oh, for sure. I mean, as they get older, they have to drive safely within their environment and they have to discriminate, you know, how fast the car is moving. Can they pull out in front of the car safely? You know, is this light positioned here? Is this for my car or is it for that side over there? Um, so there's all of these real life examples of how this is a, it's more of an impact than we would actually think than typical reactions would be to this sort of stuff. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Mm, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, if kids or anyone doesn't have their sensory processing system and integration system working effectively, it just sets the whole day up for challenges and for stress. And for kids, particularly on the spectrum, we want to reduce as much stress as possible. So we need this foundational sensory processing system to be working um, as best it can so kids can um, reach their full potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's our job. That's what we do. (laughs) So what can parents do? What can parents do at home if they have a child who has um, difficulty discriminating between things, like you said, auditory, is that cap or cat or um, visual, you know, are they um, just difficulty discriminating between words and mixing them up and they're having difficulty with their maths? What are some things with um, with this that they can do to help? Well, I think, you know, we like a lot of different games, like just your games that you find at the store, right? 
there's so many different games that you can get and you can play with your kids that work on those skills mm -hmm. and you don't even know it. They don't know it. They're just yeah. playing a game. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is like rush hour. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that game, but it's like a little car game. And so many kids have such a hard time discriminating like the size of the cars to copy the picture, the colors of the cars to copy the picture. So that's a great one for visual discrimination. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many. I like sensory bins. So I like putting a variety of, look at me, bring back sensory. I know, I totally went that way. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I think they're amazing. And there's so many different ways. Like, you, you don't just put a sensory bin in front of a kiddo and say, here you go, play. Like, make it interactive and hide letters in there so they have to spell a word. How many different words can they spell? Blindfold them. And say, can they identify the letter without seeing it? Make them hold a, like a crawling position or a tall kneel position so you can work on that, that motor component. Have um, them, I like the letter idea because there's so many things you can do with letters. You can have them come up with a word or an animal or a food that starts with that letter. Let's, you know. Yeah. And then you can incorporate the auditory system. If it's an animal that you come up with, what sound does it make? Mm -hmm. Is it loud? Is it quiet? And just just talking with them and talking them through all of these different sensory experiences that they're having so they can make sense of it in their own brain mm -hmm. because those signals are getting mixed up somewhere in their brain. And just by talking with them and giving them examples, it'll kind of help, help to um, straighten out those, those messages, I guess. Yeah. And then having them in a different body position while they mm -hmm. do it. If you're doing animals, then they do the animal walk before they find their next letter or, mm -hmm. or yeah, all the things. Yeah. Mm. I just came up with all these activities I'm going to do this week. I know. Done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. That is awesome. And it is, it's, I mean, there's so much information out there on the internet too. So if parents are listening to this and they think, oh, my child, you know, is clumsy and um, they have poor coordination and difficulty with balance, they can go, there might be that little light bulb going, oh, well, maybe they have dyspraxia or they've got challenges with this. What can I do? And there is so much information out there um, that you can get little tips and tricks to do at home. And like I say to all parents, you know, you can go to a therapy session once a week or once a fortnight or whatever it is, but unless you're integrating things into your daily rituals and routines at home, then, you know, home is where the magic happens. This is where they're going to really see their child progress. So trying to um, get as much information from the therapists as well, from the OTs, the OT assistants, whoever you're working with, and bring that into the home environment. Absolutely. We could not agree with that more. That is like, that's like what we preach. <laughs> just, just over it, even just the slightest amount. Just, just one thing. Consistent. Just do one thing. It will make a big difference. Because that way they're not just being held accountable by their therapist. Because kids perform differently when they're with their therapist. Yes. And, you know, I love video feedback. I love when therapists send videos to the parents of what the kiddos are doing. Because then when they're at home trying it, the family is going to be like, well, you did your cross crawls this well when you were with Miss Rachel. So let's, you know, let's see how well you can do them here, you know. So I think just little bits at a time. 
Absolutely. And I think parents too are really creative. Like I learn a lot from my parents and all the awesome stuff and ideas that they come up with and I integrate them. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that idea and I'm going to use that in my therapy. Um, so yeah, don't, I don't want parents to discount how amazing and valuable their input is in this whole process as well. Well, they're with, I mean, they're with the kiddos 90% of the time. Yes. And, and the, the impact that they have on their kiddos is huge. Yep. And I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, what you're learning from your parents. And I mean, parents are, they're tricky. You know, they come up with some really, <laughs> really creative things to get their kiddos to do certain things yep. or try new foods, whatever it is. Like, they've got it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Alrighty. Was there anything else on sensory processing that we didn't cover? I think we did pretty well. But was there anything before we head to the five rapid fire questions? Okay. Um, I think you all probably think of something later tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Alrighty. Let's go to question one. What is one habit that parents can implement today? So we have two, one for each of us. Yes. Okay. So I said empathy. I think that if you can empathize with what your child is going through, if it's sensory, if it's behavioral, if it's physical, whatever it is, if you can be in their shoes and understand what they're going through, you're going to be able to help them in so many more ways than you can even imagine. That's my word. My habit. Your habit. Yeah. Mine is to do less screen time and more hands-on more movement activities, so more sensory bins. Instead of watching cartoons in the morning, play with slime in the morning. Instead of watching YouTube videos after school, go for a walk. Just getting out and doing more hands-on movement activities every day, even if it's just once a day, is huge. Love it. Love both of those. Number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? Okay, mine's a little confusing, but bear with me. So I wish people would ask me, okay, how much of an impact does sensory actually have on a kiddo's ability to get through their day? And I would say, huge. It's wild. It's unbelievable. You wouldn't even imagine how big of an impact sensory processing has. Love it. It's true. Um, mine is, I wish parents would ask me more what they can do more at home of, like what, instead of just getting all the information from me, I want them to just be like, okay, what should I do now? What should I do this week? What should I do today? What should I do? Yeah. Proactive parents. Love it. (laughs) Number three, what book would you recommend that all parents read? Okay. Uh, Raising a Sensory Smart Child is a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the... Uh, oh, I love the Out of Sync Child. Out of Sync Child, yes. The Out of Sync Child is great. Fantastic. Yeah, we interviewed Carol Stock-Kranowitz, who is the author of The Out of Sync Child on one of our earlier podcasts. So if anyone wants more information on that, please head to that. She is an absolute wealth of knowledge. She's amazing. That's funny. I didn't know that. So that's funny that we recommended that. We didn't even know. 
And number four, what is your top unfinished bucket list item? Okay, I had a hard time with this one. Because I had a little bit of a hard time too. I'm not like a bucket list person. I know that sounds lame, but the more, like I had to kind of process and let it marinate. Um, but what has been coming up is like doing something crazy, like, you know, renting out a house or selling your house and like moving somewhere for a year and then moving back. Like Australia. Come and visit us. Yes. <laughs> yes. I would love that. Uh, <laughs> That sounds wild. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. First, we're going to record a lot of episodes before you go. <laughs> um, so mine, I mean, I had two. Um, one was travel, just continue to travel more. And Rachel said that everybody has that one, so I need to pick something different. So mine is just mine's my, like, an ongoing bucket list. Thing. I, I have a bucket list. Okay? I have a three pages of bucket list items. Um, but the one that's on my brain right now is just my tattoos and getting sleeves done. So that's my like top bucket list item yeah. right now. She's hardcore. <laughs> wow. Wow. And you're wearing a jumper, so I can't see any, if you've had any, <laughs> any ink done already. Uh, uh, you're wearing sleeves, so I can't see if you've got any ink already. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a couple. I have um, a couple on my arm, one on my leg. So adding nice last question ladies number five if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents what would it be um i would say if your child is in ot carry over the strategies that your child's ot recommends just like we talked about multiple times throughout this episode just implement one little thing every day and you will see huge results in your kiddo Love it. Mine is don't hold back on asking questions or telling us what your concerns are because you think it's not a big enough concern or because you're scared that your question is going to feel dumb or something. I don't know. But just because I, I just, I want parents to just ask me everything and tell me everything so we can work on everything. So just don't hold back if you feel like there's something that needs done. Mm, so important. So important. That's awesome, ladies. That's a wrap. How can everyone connect with you if they want to find out more about your work and your podcast? Where do they find you? Okay. Well, um, Instagram and Facebook is kind of where we're at. You can find us at Sensory Project Show or the Sensory Project 208. Um, our website has a bunch of resources, and it's just thesensoryproject.com. Um, and then our podcast, The yes. Sensory Project Show, we are on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Awesome. Thank you so much, ladies. I've loved it, soaking up everything that you have to offer, all about okay. SPD. Yeah, thank you so, so much. Fun. See you guys. Bye. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in today. I really hope that parts of the episode resonated with you, but more importantly, I hope that you feel inspired to take action from home base. If there is someone who you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Now, I love connecting with you all, so if you head on over to Facebook and Instagram, you can find me there. All you have to do is search Homebase Hope. 
Now, if you subscribe to this podcast by heading to iTunes and hitting the subscribe button, every fortnight you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. And if you do love the show, then please leave a five-star review because this will help more people discover us and it will help us inspire more positive change in people living on the spectrum. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.